You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This is the Yanks Go Yard Podcast with Adam Weinrib and Thomas Carinante. Welcome to a Thursday edition of the Yanks Go Yard podcast. I'm Adam Weiner, alongside Thomas Carinante. Man, the New York Yankees have now completed nine games of their nightmare schedule, and it has been a complete and total nightmare. Basically, the worst-case scenario from the series in Tampa. They win only two out of the three games played in that set. They almost lost the other two but didn't uh, because eventually they scored more runs than their opponent uh, using both a small comeback and a larger comeback, uh, bouncing back from a blown save by Clay Holmes, and then coming back from a 4-1 deficit, chipping away and winning on Jose Trevino's heroics. Also came within a couple of inches of tying the one loss in the ninth inning with two outs. In other words, a complete disaster in 2022 Yankees terms. <clears throat> Not really. Good team. Uh, we talked to you the other day and said they lead baseball in basically everything both run scoring and run prevention related that is still true and so they now enter a four-game home set with the Astros is it a test I mean yeah you want to beat the Astros they're probably the other team in the American League that looks the best and has all season but again a 13-game stretch against tough opponents the first nine within the division they have gone seven and two distancing themselves from those opponents pretty significantly so it's very hard to be upset right about now we're going to talk about all the specifics from the last two games of the series, including Jose Trevino putting another all-star exclamation point on his season and Taylor Walls being extremely beyond beatable. It does not get more beatable than Taylor Walls, who's still hitting in the 140s and managed to blow uh, Wednesday's game pretty significantly. So congrats to him. We're also going to be talking about the Aaron Judge arbitration case and the destinations that have set the Yankee world up in flame courtesy of Buster only, do we believe them? Who knows, but everybody knows what they're doing right about now. Also, some former Yankees who are not performing up to snuff elsewhere, one of whom, spoiler alert, has found his way back to the Bronx. 
Make sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us a five-star review. Drop us a mailbag question. We will be more than happy to answer it. Mailbag question in the review. By the way, don't just send us a question. I mean, I don't... It's mail us a handwritten letter with an individual question. I I don't want that. You could do it, but I don't want it. Thomas Carinante, welcome to the podcast. Uh, 51 and 18. It has definitely changed the way I watch baseball a little bit, probably for the worse. It's not doing what it should be doing. I hate that. Like I, I'm, I'm watching this team that is objectively bulldozing baseball. I haven't seen a record like this in 24 years or in my life. You got the 98 Yankees. You got this team. And yet still, when they lose two in a row, I'm like, two? Come on. Where in the past, I would be writing off entire series. Like, I would be like, they're going to Tampa. All right, they're going to get swept. So who do we play after that? Now I'm like, I'm disappointed when they almost lose a couple of games and then don't. <laughs> yeah, we almost got mad last night, right? Judge strikes out on that pitch way out of the zone. And you're like, come on, dude. You're what seeing a I beach ball. You, yeah, you I said you. I sent you Stanton and Judge are ice cold at some point. Yeah. Judge homered twice in that game. Yep. They had the two bases loaded opportunities. DJ is DJ is getting me angry. Batting 260, pops out down the first baseline with the bases loaded. I know we had the clutch hit the night before, but um, when when you're in danger of losing two in a row, it's like, come on, guys. We, we can't be doing this. Um, and it's funny because – Losing two in a row really wouldn't have mattered. Still leaps and bounds ahead of everybody else. Um, great positioning. Um, then again, you do want that momentum going into the Astros series because I see everybody on Twitter now. They're like, this series doesn't really matter. The Yankees kind of already established themselves. It's fine. You know, whatever happens, happens. It's like, you're right. 51 and 18. No one can. We're, I think we're seven games ahead of the next best team, which is the Mets right now. Mm-hmm. Um, in the entire league, but the Astros are the team that if you're going to do it to, please do it to them. Whether they, you know, over the years, over the last five years, the Astros have had varying rosters where they got much better and then they lost people, you know, like last year and two years ago and they got much worse and they're still kicking our ass. So it's like, let's take the, the streak that we're on now, the role that we're on now, and let's, maybe kick their ass four games said it'd be great I am I gonna be am I gonna be downtrodden if they lose the series no but I would really really like a series win that would truly assert the dominance heading into July and you want again you want all the breathing room you can get if they can remember this is a game it's, it's a game of numbers it always is you're increasing the division lead you need to increase the lead over the AL too the Astros are the second best team in the AL cushion you can put between you and them the better you have the head-to-head matchup the better it's going to be you want to be home for all these playoffs that's been a big that's been a big difference maker um since the Yankees have been in the postseason over these last few years um so I am ecstatic with how they're playing I do hold certain people accountable and do begin to get mad when you're like come on two in a row we're not doing this we don't do this we do not lose two in a row we only win series and it doesn't stop um, so, uh, it is the spoiled feeling that, that, that's coming on. Um, and you got to keep people in check. You got to make them realize that everything's good. We're not going to worry about it. You don't want that negative energy carrying over. Um, but come on, I'm not overlooking this Astro series and I do care about what happens. 
Yeah, the Astros are so weird, man. Like, obviously, they let Carlos Correa go and replace him with Jeremy Pena, who might be an all-star this year. Probably not, but pretty close. You know, should be the rookie of the year at at this point. Better than Bobby Witt Witt Jr. Like, not only better than Carlos Correa, but better than Bobby Witt Jr. Um, Last year, the Astros go to Fenway for those ALCS games, and ultimately, they do end up defeating the Red Sox on that CS, and we thank them for it. But at the time, it was the refrain was they don't have anywhere close to the amount of pitching they need. It was like, they don't have the pitching as once they got down two one, it was, how are they going to dig out of this? You know, they don't have the arms. Now you look this year and, and Urquidy's going in the fourth game of this four game set. He's been rough. He's got a four, six, eighty ERA, six and three. And you know, that's a five starter, six and three record four, six, yeah. eight is what it is. But Framber Valdez, seven, three, two, seven, eight going tonight. Verlander, eight and three, 2.3 going tomorrow. And obviously he is the major difference maker. If they have him last year, Nobody's saying that, but Christian Javier, four and three, three Oh seven going on Saturday, three games in a row with elite level starting pitching for the Houston Astros when they couldn't even patch together two games last year in the postseason. outside of Framber. They basically had nobody producing Javier's good. Every time I watch him and he was great in the 2020 playoffs. I don't really know what happened to him last year, but he appears to be great again. He ended up in the bullpen last year by the time the ALCS rolled around, but you look at these matchups and the Yankees have been blowing everybody's doors off pitching wise and Thursday night, you know, Tyone has the edge in ERA 270 to 278, but that's not an edge. On Friday, Verlander obviously is a run better than Severino at this point, expectedly. Javier and Cole, Javier is the better ERA, 307 to 314, and Nestor better than Urquidy, but these teams match up very well, and they always have. Uh, and in 2017, the Astros got our GOAT, and in 2019, the Astros got our GOAT. And last year, the Astros... uh Honestly, struggled against us in the regular season, but ended up winning the final game we played head to head in in embarrassing fashion in the Chad Green meltdown. Uh, that's sort of the one thing I also did want to say that a lot of people this this fan base is in a weird place right now. Right, they are fifty one and eighteen. That's insane. Do they need to set the wins record to satisfy me? No, absolutely not. I am enjoying the day to day swings, but. Also, there are certain people who are acting like blowing a five-run lead to Toronto just didn't matter at all. It mattered. That's not good, right? You can overcome it. You might look back on it in two months and agree, I'm so glad we're in a better place now and it didn't end up derailing anything. But coming out of that game, you had Clay Holmes getting dinked and dunked around and blowing a save on Tuesday, uh, on Monday. On Monday? Yes, on Monday. Uh, And then on Tuesday, you had uh, a loss where the offense is pretty much stuck in the mud the whole game against Jalen Beeks in the bullpen. And they eventually, with two outs in the ninth, Marwin Gonzalez homers and Judge almost does too, but offense didn't do much that day. Didn't do anything in the first game other than breaking a late tie. And yesterday you go down 3 nothing immediately. Isak Paredes hits four home runs in a five at-bat span. Homer, 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 hit by pitch homer. Again, these are all the things that, you know, the team did not feel like it was rolling at any point during this Rays series coming off of their worst loss of the season. Again, just being objective, like, did it derail the team's momentum? Yeah. Did it ruin everything? And we're back to 2021 and it turned the season on its head. No, they took the series in Tampa against a reeling Rays team that lost Kevin Kiermeyer from the lineup during this series, that lost Manuel Margot from the lineup during this series, that didn't have Wander Franco entering the series, and the Rays nearly swept. The Yankees took two out of three, but the Rays nearly swept. They had the Yankees on the ropes a little bit. In every game, they had the Yankees on the ropes a little bit. So that's what good teams do. 
they battle adversity and they get the win in these games and they leave you saying, thank goodness we continued extending our division lead. The Rays are now 14 back. That's probably where they should be. Kind of unbelievable. But don't act like everything was peaches and rainbows on Sunday just because they fought back. And don't act like this Rays series was the Cubs series, that they went into the trap and won 18-4 and you've got position players pitching. These were games that a good team that gets tested wins. But these weren't games where the Yankees went into Tampa and rolled over their opponent, except for Taylor Walls, who got absolutely rolled over, uh, deservedly so. Uh, swung and missed the Clay Holmes breaking balls, uh, sinkers in, in the ninth yesterday in a fashion that can only be described as child at a batting cage at the All-Star game in those simulators where a major league pitcher is throwing 96 at you and you start your swing just – you see the ball appear – over the glove and you just start swinging in hopes you're going to hit it on a three, two count where a walk could have changed everything. One run game. Walls has speed. Could have stolen, could have scored on a single, just swung over the top of a diving sinker, uh, an incredible strikeout. And uh, with Jordan Montgomery teetering on the edge, lost complete control of his stuff. Uh, Walls got picked off third with the bases loaded and a two Oh count on the batter. I believe great play by Donaldson. Great play by Trevino, but uh, you know, judge, they don't win the game. If judge doesn't homer twice, they don't win the game. If the bullpen doesn't hold things together and Montgomery rebounds, they don't win the game. If Trevino isn't a hero and they certainly don't win the game. If Taylor walls, isn't the worst player on the field, which again is continued deserved punishment for what he brought up for no apparent reason about a month ago. Yeah, no reason at all. And look again, we'll have the conversation. Good teams win the games, bad teams make the mistakes. Yes. Yankees were the bad team in 21 making mistakes errors in the field, not throwing to the right base when you're fielding a ball in the outfield, letting ball, you know, not playing staunch defense behind the plate, all that bad base running, you know, we, that, that was, that was the, the, the definition of the 2021 New York Yankees. Now they've tightened up some of the areas and you're seeing that because they're playing such tight baseball, um, the, the, the glaring errors by, and, and the miscues by the other teams are standing out even more. Getting picked up, I mean, obviously getting picked off at third is egregious with the bases loaded and that count in itself. But Walls made that throwing error in the eighth or it was the eighth inning, I think, um, or the the seventh inning. Uh, routine grounder would have ended the inning. It was Trevino running down the line. He could have taken four steps and just fired it over the first. One hops yeah. to G-Man Choi, who decided to play tennis with the ball instead. G-Man um, couldn't catch all series long. I don't know what he's doing twice yeah. now. That's That's the thing. The Rays are making mistakes like this constantly. Yeah. So if they're going to do, I have almost no faith that when the Red Sox schedule gets tougher and they play the Rays, that the Rays play them well. Why would yeah. they? They look terrible. I know. Um, and that's the thing. You tighten up on your mistakes, a couple of mistakes by the opponents look even worse, allow the, allow the door for opportunity to open for you. Um, and the Yankees would get, you know, the Yankees would benefit from some mistakes last year. But when your mistakes are compiling, either canceling out the opponents or, with the amount of mistakes they made last year, they were probably exceeding their opponent's mistakes. It makes all the difference. So you're playing fundamentally, fundamentally sound baseball. Maybe the offense isn't humming every single night, but it's getting the clutch hits. It's keeping the teams. It's keeping the team in the game. The pitching teetering a little bit. It's not going to pitch at the same rate that it's been for the first two months. You're going to see the regression here and there. Thankfully, Garrett Cole is now an absolute monster. I think three out of his last four starts. While we've seen a little bit of uh, faltering from Monty and Nestor going to happen. That's going to happen. But overall 
everyone's tight. Everyone's playing. Everyone's mostly, you, you got, got, you know, even Aaron Hicks is getting some hits now. So stuff like that is, you know, it's crazy to say, oh, you know, someone who should be getting hits, get finally getting some hits at the bottom of the lineup. Marvin Gonzalez putting the ball in play, getting some clutch hits. Josh Donaldson, not great, not good, great stats across the board, but playing excellent defense, heads up baseball, putting the ball in play when you need it. Jose Trevino can't really talk about him enough. Let's talk about him right now. Yeah. He simply can't. I mean, look, Alejandro Kirk, Toronto Blue Jays catcher, admittedly has the nod for the all-star game. He's played in more games. His offensive stats are better. But, but it's really not as different as you think. Kirk, 304 average, 882 OPS, eight home runs, 26 RBIs. Trevino, 283 average, 817 OPS, six home runs and 20 R- 21 RBIs. And that's in 15 fewer games. If you look at the defense, Kirk has eight defensive run saves, a 0.7 D war, um, four catcher framing runs. Um, Trevino has 12 defensive run save, uh, one D war, 1.0 D war, and five catcher framing runs. So obviously there are advantages for uh, Trevino playing in fewer games because stats are a little bit more elevated when you have a smaller sample size. And there are advantages for Kirk in playing more games. He's had more exposure to playing offense. He's been able to – he's been able to be in more opportunities that have allowed that his uh, hitting both of them. They're hitting in clutch stats, runners in scoring position, two outs runners in scoring position, high leverage are both unbelievable. Um, So this is tough, but um, there is one stark difference here. Kirk starts the season starting catcher earned it from the year before saw the potential young guy. Blue Jays are on board. Trevino acquired to be a third stringer because of the injury to Ben Wartvet has worked his way up the depth chart to have a stranglehold on the starting catching role and is doing this. He is making a difference on the best team in Major League Baseball. So am I sitting here telling you that Jose Trevino is an all-star starting catcher over Alejandro Kirk? Not entirely, but there's still a few weeks left. If he comes with – if it's neck and neck by the time the voting closes – in my opinion, there's no reason it shouldn't be Trevino based on what he's worked through, the contributions he's putting forth on the league's best team. There is to say both of these guys have great advantages. They're surrounded by tremendous hitters, so they're going to see more pitches. But the the defense they've been contributing um, has been has made all the difference for both of these teams. Um, I am fully a sucker, though. I'm buying into the Trevino storyline. He's got those walk-offs, both of which have, um, you know, incredible emotional attachment to them. His deceased father's birthday and his uh, his son's four-year-old birthday. Um, uh, he his commitment to defense and defensive game plans has uh, has opened the eye on the coaching staff and likely gave him more playing time. His penchant for coming up in big moments, the fact that he's aggressive at the plate, um, the fact that he's 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 aggressive and he's patient. Um, and the fact that nobody ever saw this coming. Kirk was a youngster with potential. He was always kind of up there in the conversations with the Blue Jays. You knew that he might be someone um, boasted power last year. We all saw it. Trevino has largely been a nobody for, what, three, four years? Comes over here, makes a tremendous impression, works his way up the depth chart. Starting catcher now over Kyle Higashioka. It's not really a debate. Um, so if we are to vote a little bit with our heads. I think the storyline and the narrative there should reign a little bit supreme in Trevino's case, because 
that is something that cannot be ignored. Um, that's that's a true that's a true blue collar effort from Jose Trevino, and it's got to be recognized, I think, in, in the national spotlight more than it might be. Yeah, it is about the narrative, right? The All Star Game is something where you are trying to put uh, the players who are owning the current season on the map, uh, and there are going to be. Uh, I think what's important to note here is that. Is Alejandro Kirk having a great season as the de facto's the the actual starter rather than the de facto starter? Absolutely. And is he going to win the All Star starting job? Quite possible. It looks like he and Trevino are probably going to get into a two man runoff, which is new that that hasn't happened before. So the top two vote getters are going to be spun into an additional vote, and then you're going to have to choose between them. Can Trevino win that? Will it go? You know, it's really fifty fifty for me right now, but we're going to have to send another catcher to the all-star game. And the biggest knock on Trevino was that he's behind and at bats, et cetera, but he's, he's getting up there. He, you know, the plate appearances are starting to become realistic. And who are you putting on the all-star roster instead of Jose Trevino? The, the leading candidate is Jonah Heim of Texas, I guess. I mean, he's got a 124 OPS plus lower than Trevino's. He's he's been worth 1.6 WAR, nine homers, hitting 250 with 26 RBI. Very good season. 315 OBP certainly mattered less the narrative of the 2022 season than Trevino. It's close, but you know, I, I mean, these are the names we're talking about here. We're talking about the New York Yankees spark plug narrative leader, and we're talking about the Texas Rangers, someone else who who split time with him last year, who was someone who was already platooning with Jose Trevino. Uh, which is kind of amazing in and of itself. But you think about the, na- I mean, why is Nestor Cortez very, very likely to make the all-star team with his 2.3 ERA and Framber Valdez and his 2.7 mark for the Astros is probably not going to make it because a lot of people are talking about Nestor Cortez. He's not going to be the starter anymore. I think we've lost that battle. Two of his last three starts have been kind of rough. And if he makes the team, he probably won't pitch. Hate to break that to you, but the Yankees are trying to limit his innings anyway. And I don't think they want Nestor Cortez pitching in the all-star game if he doesn't have to yeah. but he is has a distinct mark above the other guys in similar era ranges he's probably going to get a nod on that team and when you start looking at the rest of the al it's kirk trevino heim and then the bigger names i was a little bit worried about christian vasquez taking that slot he's got a 102 ops plus is hitting 278 has just four homers nowhere close to the production of trevino certainly not the impact and Salvador Perez is homered 11 times, but is hitting 211 with an 89 OPS plus. If he doesn't get voted the starter, he's not making the team. And as of now, without a significant push from Kansas City, a city that has stopped paying attention to baseball, they're not going to vote him into the top two spots. So it really does feel like it's going to be a runoff between the top two, and Trevino is going to beat out Jonah Heim. Again, it's just the narrative advantage. How many All-Stars do you want to give the 51-18 and 18 New York Yankees? Do you want to give their catcher who keeps hitting walk-offs an All-Star spot, or do you want to give it to Jonah Heim and the nearly 500 Rangers? who They're equally deserving in my eyes, and my eyes are biased, but it's not like I'm saying put Trevino on, he's cool, even though Jonah Heim is hitting 350 with 13 homers. I'm, I'm telling you that two catchers who are performing above expectations and performing extremely well defensively, one of them's on the Yankees, and has all these shining moments to his name, and one of them is on Texas, and you can't really name the moments that Jonah Heim has impacted this year. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. 
Well, anyways, I was calling Kern because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. The starting catcher thing with Trevino, too, Whatever they're doing right now is working. So I can't really argue against load management a little bit, giving Kyle Higashioka a couple of starts per week. But I tell you this, everything they're doing with how often they play Trevino and when they start Higashioka is meant to get Trevino in the bigger games. So whenever they need him, Trevino will be the starter. The playoffs, Trevino will be the starter. They are not going to give Higashioka two ALDS starts and Trevino three. He is the starting catcher when they need him. That's what they're doing right now. Yeah, and he's earned it. Um, and like I said, I think that's that should be a huge part of it. Um, he's he's provided all the energy that this team was lacking last year as well. Um, once again, I understand that um, emotional ties have nothing to do with voting, but um, you look at the turnaround. The, arguably the biggest difference on this team, arguably you look at the rest of the roster, you could argue IKF at shortstop. That's he's been a little bit shaky, but overall his bat and his consistency on defense has made a big has made a huge difference. But behind the plate, the expectations Gary Sanchez was that 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 came with Gary Sanchez because of his first two seasons um, and his defense that marginally improved, or you could argue regressed over time. Um, was clearly not the answer. 
Um, and the Yankees figured it out with this platoon. Trevino's heading the platoon. He clearly plays in the more important games. Um, and the Yankees are the best team in baseball. Um, so you, you give props where props are due. Brian Cashman made the roster decisions. Um, Aaron Boone has put guys in the right spot to succeed. Uh, but at the end of the day, like we talked about last year, it's on the players to perform. Um, the Yankees outfield has arguably gotten worse, but they're making it work. The infield has gotten better, but it's not, you know, it's not incredible. Um, Rizzo at first has provided a stranglehold. Um, Donaldson, I think, uh, I, I is definitely an upgrade over Geo, um, but it hasn't been as probably impactful as we thought it might be, especially on the offensive end. Um, and Glaber returning to second has has definitely been positive. Um, he he's been able to maximize his bat, um, being more comfortable on defense. So um, I know there have been good changes for the better there, and it's definitely helped the roster. Um, but the the the, the degree to which everything has switched at catcher and how you're seeing the, uh, the rapport with the pitching staff, all the starters are doing well. Even the relievers who are like sort of struggling are not even really struggling. There is a clear um, line of communication that is advantageous for both sides. The rotation is not even close. It's the best in major league baseball. Um, and that just doesn't happen overnight. There's been a change. Trevino has been, a big part of that change. And don't even forget this, how late he came to the game. Wasn't again, was not supposed to be on this team came to this team because of an injury to Ben Rortfed, who came over in that trade with the twins for Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela. This was not part of the plan. Trevino comes in, right? Maybe it was during spring training at that point. Um, because I don't even, I don't remember the exact, it was right before or it was during it. It was, um, I was in Virginia. I'm backtracking. I think it was the, the Saturday of the final four. Like yeah. I think spring training was wrapping up because I was, I was in Charlottesville. Um, I was yeah. kind of driving around going, Oh, okay. I thought I liked Albert Abreu, but fine, I guess. Uh, and then ultimately more than fine. Yeah. And then we'll, we'll talk about it in a second, but yeah. you, you want to talk about a trade you won. Um, I mean, the Yankees have all parts of that trade on the roster right now. Yeah, I mean, and just a factor that has to be considered. He came so late and has been a seamless fit. Um, And what he's been able to succeed with not exactly things working in his favor to the degree to which he succeeded. I think that's, I think it's just got to be part of the storyline. We can't just be looking at stats and being like, oh, you're better than him. Yeah, of course. Everything has, there's layers to everything, especially in baseball. If you're not performing well in the surface level metrics, you can look at the underlying ones and see if somebody's getting unlucky or if there's a breakout to come or if someone maybe deserves more credit. There are clutch stats. There are, you know, batting average on balls in play. Like there's everything you can think of. And when you look at Jose Trevino, he's got both the surface level, the advanced metric stats, and he has a storyline to go with it with disadvantages baked in throughout the way. All-star for me. All-star for me. Simple as that. Uh, now let's talk briefly, uh, and also just, you know, the outfield stuff. I don't know if Joey Gallo is going to be on this roster by the end of the year. Uh, well, I think we'll learn more about that in the coming weeks, but every single day, unbelievable. It's every night, uh, every single day. It's like, it's a perfect team minus just one contributor. It's scheduled out strikeouts. Like you, you plan the inning around them. You go second and third, one out and Gallo's up. Can we come through with a two out hit? Because we're not getting a one out hit. 
Like it, it's kind of unbelievable. Um, and we said this last week, how bad do you have to be performing to be named Joey Gallo and New York fans want to run you out of town? It's sad. Nobody's rooting against him. No. But at this point, that is the only area where there has really been a clear step back. We, we talked about it, looking back on the laughable conversations last year at the end of the year that were like, yeah, he was dreadful. But like, think about a full season of Joey Gallo and what that could do to the 2022 team, what that could do to the 22. It's arguably worse. Uh, and he's worse. His splits at home are worse than on the road, which really tells you, I mean, that, that ballpark is built for him to hit 25 to 30 home runs at Yankee Stadium in 80 games. Just and at Yankee Stadium. Just the Yankee Stadium, and he's hitting 165 with no power there and 190-something with a little bit of power on the road. Like, the fans hate him. He hates playing in front of the fans. He <laughs> plays markedly worse at home in front of the yep. fans. So at that point, it's sad and depressing, but it's time to cut bait. Uh, and then uh, the only other thing I wanted to note is I turned basically from the end of yesterday's Yankee game. Like, Clay Holmes secures the final out. I flipped on the guardians and twins in an 11, 10 game in the ninth. And it ended with Gary Sanchez striking out uh, against Emmanuel Classe basically immediately after I, I turned that game on and G Urshela is out OPSing him. So again, we all want the best for Gary. We want to see that bounce back, but uh, I think a lot of ink was spilled about how back he was before we really considered that he's being outperformed by the third baseman we also traded, who's not really a power hitter and is mostly known for his defense, and that defense is regressing. And this run on sentence is just to say, I don't know where you want to put Gary Sanchez, but Joey Gallo is really the only Yankee he'd be an upgrade on right now. And uh, that's not going to work out. I don't want to see Gary in left or right. Uh, I don't want to see a big boy outfield with Stanton Judge and Gary. Uh, so that being said, I don't think it's worth examining. But best of luck to Sanchez moving forward. Speaking of the outfield and the big boys Aaron judges arbitration hearing is on Friday. It was originally scheduled for the middle of the week. That was pretty common knowledge. And they talked to Aaron judge about that on Monday, but then all of a sudden the Yankees tried to mind trick us and say, it's actually on Friday and it was always on Friday. And you guys just never knew that. Uh, that's not true. Aaron judge was answering questions about how it wasn't on Friday, but regardless, uh, judge's arbitration hearing is coming up this week. Buster Olney used that as an opportunity to try to scare Yankee fans with his article on potential destinations. Now, he listed all of the possible destinations that could challenge the Yankees for Aaron Judge this offseason. They range from the ones we've heard of before and should be scared of. That tier is the San Francisco Giants. Judge is a Bay Area native. They have been right in the Stanton chase. They have been right in the Bryce Harper chase. If they are willing to cross Judge's monetary threshold, that's a place that would make a lot of sense and would allow him to compete. The Chicago Cubs are another destination. Make you scratch your chin a little bit. They're a big market team. They have not operated like it lately, and they are sort of a threat to just throw caution to the wind and go for Judge. Now, the ones that were thrown in there that really scared Yankee fans that don't seem to make sense, the Mets who all rumblings this offseason where they are not going to pursue him, and the Red Sox, who traded Mookie Betts, have not extended Bogarts, have not extended Devers. I can't come to terms with why they'd be here other than to fit in the graphic because they're just something that Buster only wants to show to Yankee fans and say, be scared of this. Then in the bottom tier, teams I've never really considered but are probably worth at least a mention, the Dodgers, the Twins, and the Angels. Of course, Buster's conclusion is that the Yankees are the most likely suitor and that Judge anywhere else is a lot like A-Rod going from Seattle to Texas. The Yankees saved A-Rod, 
But before they did, he was certainly a lesser thought of entity than his earlier days with the Mariners. So Thomas Carinante, where do you net out on these possible destinations that were posited this week? It still feels to me like the Giants are really the only competition and that the Mets and Red Sox are no more in on this than they ever were. The Red Sox in particular makes no sense. And Olney's explanation for the Red Sox is basically they've gotten so much shit for trading Mookie Betts and for not moving on Bogart's endeavors. Wouldn't it be an interesting way to reverse that shit by signing Aaron Judge? The counter being that I have absolutely no idea why High and Bloom would pay $360 million for an aging Aaron Judge. Even the Yankees are not going to get full benefit from doing that. They're just the only franchise that can't mess that up. So that's why we're trying to tell them to do it. But it, wouldn't it just make more sense and bring the Red Sox more goodwill if they sign Devers and Bogarts instead of the judge thing? Yeah, or maybe re-sign JD, who's been dominating for the last three years. Like, I mean, uh, who's been great for them ever since he signed. I know he's getting old, but look, I'm not going to rule anything out. Red Sox could sign. Red Sox have the power to sign Aaron Judge. It's not out of the question. They would have a lot of other financial commitments to make, however, so it would make it difficult. Um, uh, that's merely for uh, it's for good reading if you're interested in exploring any and all scenarios. We do a lot of that, so I'm not entirely going to blast it. Um, but yeah, timing issue from Buster Olney here. Um, Judge approaching arbitration has a funny comment where he says he's looking forward to it. Um, why so you can laugh in your boss's face when you make the fucking money that you thought you deserved that they didn't think you deserve like um it's it's all comical at this point the yankees just not giving him the money um and then kind of rubbing salt in the wound here by going oh here are all the destinations aaron judge could go yes he could go anywhere he could go almost anywhere we saw did you think carlos correa was going to the twins this offseason folks no scott boris created an entire new market and gave these and now set the precedent for smaller market teams to do these short-term high AEV deals if they don't want to commit money long-term, which has been the bigger problem throughout baseball. Oh, do we want to give out 10 to 12-year contracts and hamstring ourselves, you know, five, six, seven years down the road? No. Okay, great. Carlos Correa, come on down. $35 million a year, three years, and you can opt out whenever the hell you want. Um, so nothing is going to surprise me based on what we've seen in recent years. However, the Red Sox would be that would be a crazy twist um, and very difficult for them to work um, from a payroll standpoint and also disrespectful to the incumbent players they have there who have played incredibly well over the last five to however many years. Um, I don't know why they wouldn't keep that group intact with all the success they've had since 20, 2018. Um, again, don't know why it would happen. I guess it could. Mets is, is crazy to me. You look at the Mets payroll, they have $190 million committed guaranteed in guaranteeing contracts next year. Now you start factoring in options and arbitration, that number goes up to $260 million. So tell me this, even if they reject most of the options, which are uh, Taiwan Walker, which is a $6 million option, Carlos Carrasco, which is a $14 million option, um, among some others, they're going to pay all their guys in arbitration. They got Pete Alonzo. They got Dom Smith. Um, J.D. Davis might go, actually, but yeah. he's cheap, so they might keep him. Uh, Joely Rodriguez, who they acquired from us, that they're definitely going to keep. Those are the big – like, those guys probably aren't going anywhere. And then you factor in who they're losing. They're losing a ton of bullpen guys. Trevor May, 
I understand injured and hasn't been having a good year, so not entirely a huge loss, but still a position you got to fill. Edwin Diaz, your closer, who's been lights out, he's a free agent. Adam Ottavino, also not good, but filling a role in the bullpen, you got to fill that. Brandon Nimmo, center fielder, that's where the vacancy comes in Mm -hmm. for Judge to maybe pop in there. Um, You're losing more depth with Seth Lugo, free agent. Trevor Williams, free agent. Um, Travis Jankowski, who's been good for them, free agent. Like, all these guys have played uh, a piece in this Mets puzzle. Um, So, and then you factor in the payroll situation. You're going to be paying Judge, what, $36 I mean, again, not something I'm going to rule out, Steve Cohen, is a tremendous billionaire and has all the money to make it happen, but kind of just seems like a reach here to start thinking that that's realistic. Um, I think the giants are the biggest threat. Um, I think people are laughing at the Cubs as a potential destination. Um, you look at the Cubs and yeah, they're kind of uh, a sad bunch. Um, that success that they had in that short window that probably should have birthed more success. Um, was more of an outlier than it was uh, a a sign of consistency for the franchise, but they rebuilt, you know, they, they built the marquee sports um, network. Um, they, they have planned for this exodus of free agents over the next couple of years to free up the money. Um, I don't know why it would be out of the question for a judge to take a boatload of money there and become an icon in Chicago, another major city. Um But yeah, I mean, in terms of what's realistic and what's not, um, there is a degree to which we can talk about and what makes sense. Um, There's absolutely nothing to rule out. I think Aaron Judge is, uh, I think Aaron Judge, based on asking the common fan, I think he's the face of baseball. Um, I don't think if Aaron Judge goes to Kansas City, I don't know who was talking about that recently, Manny um, Ramirez. Yeah, Manny Ramirez said that about Jeter, but somebody else was saying that about Judge and the destinations. Like, oh, if he goes so you know somewhere, he'll be a nobody. I don't yeah. think so. Yeah, I I don't think so. I mean, I understand that happens with some players, but um, I think Judge is a different breed. Uh, he he's he's just a walking marketing tool, um, and every team that would be interested in him, that would be the angle that they're going after. Um, players don't provide money from production on the field. They do in a sense, but what sells anything, merchandise, tickets, concessions as a result of the tickets, Aaron Judge does all of that. He has a section in Yankee Stadium dedicated to him. Um, I think that uh, we kind of do need to tread lightly here. I think Aaron Judge will explore free agency, especially after this arbitration bullshit. Um, This should have been settled. This is a blip on the Yankees' radar. Um, even if they were to meet in the middle, which is probably where they should at 19 million, look at it. Look at it through that lens. Aaron Judge probably deserves 19 million. 21 million a push. Cool. If you want to say that, great. I'm not going to disagree. I'm just going to say give him the two extra million because it doesn't matter. So they already had the disingenuous aspect of the contract extensions where they gave him as much as they could possibly stomach based on the risk that they believe they were taking injury history, all fluky kind of injuries anyway, um, age, um, and on-field production. Um, and then they tried to bake in paying him the 17 million for this year, as opposed to either meeting in the middle or saying, you know what, Aaron, take the 21 million for this year. Let's get this contract wrapped up. They didn't do that. So I am not going to sit here and say that Aaron judges free, uh, 
I still think he's most likely to return to the Yankees, but after all the stuff that we've seen transpire, um, after the you know seeing the landscape of the game and how it is changing, face players' faces are becoming more of a thing than they ever were. Um, I know Mike Trout is sadly marketed in L.A. and now Shohei Otani is overshadowing him in L.A. Um, so it's kind of funny how that's how that's flipped everything on its head. But teams are going to teams understand that when they sign a player, it needs to be twofold: production on field and ways to market and bring in money through other other avenues. Um, so I'm not going to rule out Aaron judge going anywhere. Um, though I do think some of the places are a reach or if they are, e- even if they're not a reach, there's going to have to be a ton of work for the Red Sox and the Mets to figure things out, to make that a reality. Um, and it might be too much for them to stomach because you're talking about altering the DNA of a team, completely changing around your financials, making a number of trades that you, that to clear space or, or letting guys go uh, non-tendering guys or just letting free agents walk that are valuable just might not be worth it. You see in every sport where teams go on free agency sprees, bringing in five, six guys, letting other key components go. They want to change a pace. It doesn't never works in year one. Tell me, tell me one incident sport instance in sports where a free agency splurge has worked in year one. It never has Um, the, the, the chemistry um, of all this and the other intangibles are swept under the rug because these other things make headlines. Um, I don't know if this is really uh, a thing that those two teams want to do based on where they are right now. Red Sox are good. Mets are second best team in MLB. Do you want to upend all of that um, to sign one guy and then hamstring yourself financially for other endeavors? Cause the Mets, you still have to take care of Jacob deGrom. You got Max Scherzer under contract for 40 plus million dollars in the next two years, not going to be easy. And then you got to take care of Pete Alonso. So um it could happen, but you want to give yourself a headache that the Mets and the Red Sox would be doing exactly that if they were to chase Aaron Judge. Name an instance where free agency frenzy worked year one. Uh, besides the 2011 Eagles, I'm just trying to figure it out. Um, <laughs> dream other team. than that, yeah, other than that, dream team, I actually can't remember any. No, it's an extremely valid <laughs> point. Um, I, I lingering for briefly on the you know Aaron Judge to KC thing. He is not Mike Trout. <clears throat> Right. He's much closer to O'Neill Cruz. Like, look at everybody being shocked by O'Neill Cruz. There's a six, seven shortstop who hits yeah. the ball 110 miles an hour. Now all of Twitter's paying attention to Pittsburgh. The Pittsburgh Pirates are tanking this year. They are a you know fourth place level team. They're finally coming close to being 10 games under 500. Nobody can name another pirate, but all of baseball Twitter is circulating these O'Neill Cruz clips. He just did a hundred six mile an hour double off the center field wall. That is taking my entire Twitter feed during this podcast and turning it into the O'Neill Cruz update. So if you get Aaron Judge and put him on a small market team, theoretically, he's going to be doing freakish things unlike anything that most people have seen in this game. He's going to be hitting the ball 114, 160 miles an hour with regularity. He is challenging for the home run record this year. I mean, that really should be enough. You do that in any city. People are going to start paying attention to you. Mike Trout hits his quiet 40 homers, 110 RBIs, 100 RBIs, 94 RBIs every year. It's 300 to 330, doesn't make the playoffs. That's, I mean, people are paying attention to Otani, too, on the same bad team. Uh, ben Verlander tweeted today, like, people are not talking about Otani enough. Everyone's talking about Otani. He's the most talked about player in the last Ever. 10 years of baseball <laughs> for good reason, too. He's crazy. He, he, he knocked in eight runs, and then the next day threw eight shutout innings with 13 strikeouts. 
he's doing crazy things and people are talking about it. But Mike Trout is getting overshadowed on his own team. That would not be happening if Aaron Judge were Otani's teammate. They would be talked about in equal footing. You would yeah. not lose shape of either of those two players. Uh, Manny Ramirez, by the way, very briefly veered into trying to compliment Derek Jeter by saying Boston and New York fans are different than anybody else and that if you're playing somewhere else, you're not getting motivated. You might never reach your level of greatness you were destined to. And he became great because he played in Boston. And Derek Jeter became the greatest because he played in New York. And if he'd played in Kansas City, that might not have happened for him. But also, if you're trying to compliment Derek Jeter, don't give all of Twitter an easily clippable sentence that they can tweet and circulate and say, what the heck? Well, Manny Ramirez throwing shade at Derek Jeter. I'm talking about what the heck? If you say the sentence, Derek Jeter in Kansas City is just a regular player, which is what he said, then you're inviting people to tweet that sentence. Yes. That's it. Like, it's, I understand. And it, it would be clickbait to say, Manny Ramirez throws epic shade at Derek Jeter. Nude picks Polina Portskova. But he did frame his compliment. Yeah. In, in a way that is easily clippable by somebody else who is trying to throw shade at Derek Jeter. That's it. Because Twitter was so pumped. They were like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Common Manny W. Basted Manny Ramirez. Um, and so that's what you got. And then obviously Manny never clarified. Because no, also, no one digs for context anymore. No one's listening to Nesson. No, nope. please don't do that to yourselves. Don't listen to Nesson. Don't listen to Kevin Millar and Manny Ramirez on the Red Sox Tigers broadcast. And good job, uh, good job all planning that 2004 reunion for a real big win where the fellas need a boost and there's a risk of a loss, guys. Uh, really good job all showing up to Red Sox Tigers and, and boosting that morale. Um, why am I so angry at these people? I don't know. Yankees are 51 and 18. Manny Ramirez could say whatever he wants. Maybe I'm angry because I am thinking about uh, three former Yankees who are performing terribly elsewhere in 2022. Apologies to Jackson Frazier, who just missed the list. Uh, his name was Clint on the Yankees. It is now Jackson Frazier. Mm. That's his middle name. That's what he'd like to be called. He's certainly struggling, but I don't like lumping him in with people who are struggling because it is very obvious that concussion issues have wrecked Jackson Frazier's career to this point. I am rooting for his comeback more than I'm rooting for Gary Sanchez's comeback. Is that weird to say? Probably. That's how I feel. Um, but I focused in on these three. We published this today. These three former players who are performing terribly elsewhere this season. And I'm going to close it with a twist that's going to spark the end of our discussion here. Number one, of course, Tyler Wade, who everybody fell in love with because of his versatility last year. He had a 90 OPS plus last year in the season where you all convinced yourself he was kind of an integral part of this team. OPS 677, hit 268. Fine in spurts, basically Isaiah Connor Falefa, but with less of a clutch gene. Now he's on the Angels and he's performing quite poorly. He has a 55 OPS plus this year and has been worth negative 0.5 war. He's halfway towards subtracting as much war as Cody Bellinger did from the Dodgers last year. Number two, remember Nick Nelson? Joe Girardi does because he used him all the time before he was fired from the Phillies. Nick Nelson has somehow racked up 
33 and a third innings this year and has struck out 31 batters. That is typical Nick Nelson. That's what we remember. We were told he whiffs guys, he eats innings, and the stuff is just so nasty, and it, eventually it's going to translate. He's struck out more batters than innings pitched in his MLB career to this point. He's also subtracted 1.1 war overall, which is absurd for a spot starter reliever. Career 1.624 whip. So he's actually been better than his career average so far this year. He's at 1.470, 5.13 ERA, 3.46 FIP, and a 4.08 FIP last year with an 8.79 ERA. He's just a guy who underperforms that FIP regularly, and he's been a gas can more often than not for the terrible Phillies bullpen this year. Now the third spot on the list goes to, drumroll please, Albert Abreu who pitched for the Texas Rangers after being traded for Jose Trevino, struck out nine and eight and two-thirds innings, only allowed three earned runs, but walked 12, 3.12 ERA, 8.56 FIP, then went to the Kansas City Royals after being DFA'd, four and a third innings, two earned, four more walks, three more Ks, FIP still sitting at 8.21 in the small sample size, 4.15 ERA. He might be one of the luckiest pitchers in, in baseball this year out of the bullpen he's been in two cities already so it feels weird calling him lucky considering he's already lost two gigs this season but he is certainly overperforming his peripherals which are brutal and all of this is to say the new york yankees saw that and decided to take a chance on him again even though he is performing terribly on other teams he is now a yankee again added to the active roster on thursday joining the team for the homestand starting with the Houston Astros. They know him better than anyone else, but that resulted in Clark Schmidt being demoted. That resulted in Manny Banuelos facing potential DFA, even though he has been such a great story this year. They can't send him down without losing him potentially, and I don't really think you want to do that considering he has done the job and he's gotten to fulfill a dream. Does he get claimed by somebody else if the Yankees DFA him? He's much more likely to do so than Jackson Frazier, who cleared waivers couple weeks ago after the Cubs DFA'd him. And now Abreu is on the roster. And David McKay, who also lost his 40-man spot in this shuffle, was traded back to the Rays, where he came from, for more cash considerations during this podcast. So he goes back to Tampa as the corresponding move. A whole lot of shuffling just to bring Albert Abreu back. Now, you and I talked people off the ledge earlier today. The bottom line is if he's terrible again, he'll leave again. They need to get rid of bullpen arms at some point. Loisaga comes back. Chapman comes back. Even Zach Britton thinks he's coming back. And you can demote Ron Marinaccio, but you can't really demote anyone else. You start losing Litke. You start losing Banuelos. Miguel Castro you might lose. They traded Justin Wilson in the middle of last year. Don't rule it out. But should Albert Abreu be on this big league roster right now? If it were up to me, he wouldn't be. But if he struggles... For a 51-18 and 18 team, they will jettison him again, just as the Royals did and just as the Rangers did. He's the easiest cut on the roster automatically. 100%. And don't forget, the Yankees are playing the long game here. Um, Clark Schmidt uh, came up in 2020, was injured in 2021. He's 44 and a third innings coming into the season over the last two years. That's nothing. He's a starting pitcher. He's supposed to be throwing a lot more than that. He already threw, I think he's up to 20-something this year. He's already won, He's already more than half of his production over the last two years. And he threw 10 innings in June, 180 pitches. 
in, I think, six appearances. Mo- a, a good amount of those have been multi-inning performances. He needs yeah. to rest. Ron Marinaccio had a lighter month of June, but he also pitched almost 70 innings last year um, in the minors. So he has a little bit of a workload. He, he has his arm strength built up a little bit, whereas Schmidt was back and forth. He was bounced around in 2020. Weird roles, didn't really know what was going on. Then injures himself in spring training, laid off until the, pretty much the end of the season. Doesn't really get that much run. Yankees got to preserve these guys. They got to preserve the bullpen arms. Um, so, yeah, Abreu's here, great. The Yankees kind of figured out how to maximize his talent last year during the, uh, down the stretch, second half. If they can do it again, awesome. If he's good, cool. Um, if he's bad, he'll be gone. Um, there was no, there will be no loss here. Um, you got to cycle in arms. You got to make sure people are staying fresh. You have to make sure they're getting the rest. We have innings limit issues with the starting rotation, guys. Nestor Cortez, ninety-three is his career high number. Jameson Tyone threw one hundred and forty-four innings last year. That was, I think, you tack on. Uh, maybe 30 to that from 2019 and 2020. That's still, that's one season's worth worth of, you know, third uh, starts for a a starting pitcher. Um, So there are area, uh, Luis Severino. I mean, do we have to, do we have to talk about him again? Um, You already know, you know, the pitfalls here, you know, that this is, you don't want guys getting exhausted down the stretch. What happened to Chad Green last year, guys? What happened to Chad Green the year before that? You know, just thrown over and over and over. And the Yankees had to have, I hope, learned their lesson. I think they're playing a dangerous game with Clay Holmes a little bit, but, I mean, he's rolling, so just, I guess, let it fly. When we get some guys back, I think he'll be able to get some rest. They've created enough breathing room at this point, but they'll be able to manage it better. But Clark Schmidt getting option and and Albert Abreu coming in means nothing. It means they're trying to create more work for guys who could eat innings and it's trying to preserve the workload for guys that they view valuable, which they do Clark Schmidt. Um, so uh, I think that the roster is being managed a lot better this year. Um, you know, you mentioning the three Yankees performing poorly elsewhere. You look at even the honorable mentions that, you know, we talked about Joe Rochella, Gary Sanchez, Luke Voigt, um, our boy Brooks Krisky. All those guys are being outperformed by the guys on the Yankees roster. Um, whether it's, whether it's obvious or not. Um, so the turnover from this year, uh, from last year to this year has been tremendous. And I think the way that they're kind of managing workloads this year is setting us up for the long haul. So don't be worried about roster moves, guys. Just let it fly. Everything's going to be all right. I also want Clark Schmidt to be a starter. Like I'm, yeah, thankful, yeah. I'm thankful for his bullpen contributions this year. But if he goes from, what, 40 innings over the last couple of years to finishing this year at – 55 innings and then I want to throw him into the rotation like that. That's not the progression that I need to see. I would send him to the minors, start stretching him out a little bit. Three inning starts, four inning starts, five inning starts. He will be back at the big league level this year. They need reinforcements in the rotation. That's going to come from him. It's going to come from JP Sears. It's going to come from Domingo Herman eventually, whose role I finally figured out. Took a long time. Take that full month on the rehab clock, Domingo, by the way. No rush, man. Uh, but eventually, when you are ready, he is someone they can use to take a start, give Nestor Cortez a breather, or, or give Nestor like a three-inning start. Domingo throws three. This is the leeway you buy yourself if you go this far out ahead of the rest of the AL East. You need to keep the foot on the gas pedal. And I tr- i mean, anyone who's watched the Yankees this year know- should trust them at this point that they will do that. 
they will not forget how to play baseball midway through the season and just completely go, this is not worth our time, guys. We're just not going to bother. They know how to get that intensity back, but you don't want to lose the spark. You don't want to overwork people just to be the July champions. No. So this team needs to do a really good job of managing that intensity and being able to figure out not when to punt games. We're not punting games, but we're figuring out how to manage people's bodies. And we are figuring out how to keep everybody fresh for October. A much more viable strategy when you are 12 up in the division in June rather than when you are three up in the middle of August and have a three-run lead against a division rival and you're using a non-closer to close. These are different situations completely. And that is it for this edition of the Inkscale Yard podcast. Make sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us a five-star review. Drop us a mailbag question in those reviews. We will be more than happy to answer. And find us on YouTube, too. We are live Mondays and Thursdays. 2 o'clock Eastern all season long. Around 10 poll events, too. You'll find us live. Yankees in the playoffs. Yeah, you'll probably find us live. We'll go live more often. That's how going live works. You just have to hit a button. Frankly, it's not very hard. Uh, But check us out on YouTube. There'll be fresh content there for you, too, as well as shorts and snippets from the podcast that you may have missed if you don't want to scroll through all 57 minutes. Yeah, megacast. Pretty exciting. Until next time, I'm Adam Weinrib. You can find me on Twitter at Adam Weinrib. Thomas Carinante, where can the people find you? At Tommy's underscore takes, baby. Uh, head on over to yanksgoyard.com, too. Uh, our bylines are there, creating plenty of content. Stuff's getting intriguing. Trade deadline month, six weeks away. Yeah. Look at that. Um, there will be roster moves. There will be, there will, there, I, you know, Brian Cashman's good for an early deal. He tries to get something done early July um, before the frenzy. So stay on your toes. Uh, talk to us on the official Yanks Go Yard Twitter account at Yanks Go Yard FS. Um, Astros coming to town, four game series. Seems like a great time to enjoy your weekend and get pumped for Yankees baseball. That's what I'm going to do. These tickets seem impossible to get. Yeah. Try to. I mean, if you want to go, go. I I don't plan on being in the building, but I do plan on enjoying the baseball, folks. Maybe a cold brew in my hand. Maybe a warm brew. Maybe a cold brew from Star. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Starbucks and then a cold brew. So many options. We'll see you on Monday. We'll talk to you all about it.